Good evening, everyone that is uh, present. It's with great anticipation that I'm here, and I trust those who are following online will have the same attitude, because I'm sure that we'll be hearing words that are more than just precious, but will cause us to be settled and to become steadfast, to be unmovable, as we await the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is so much that is happening. Uh, disasters all over the world, and uh, we are here of uh, wars and so on. But Jesus did say that we ought not to let our hearts be troubled, but to reach out to him, realizing and looking forward beyond what's happening, because it's uh, very precious because we are looking forward to the return of the Lord and uh, we don't know exactly what time but we are getting instructions that will cause us that has caused me to really uh, be settled in God and in the precious words that we have been receiving tonight as we have this service I would advise and I would would, have, would ask everyone to participate. Let's open up our hearts to receive what the Lord has for us. There are several of our saints who are not well. Uh, Sister Dorcas is not well in her body. Uh, Sister Phillips, Sister Monica, and several others. The Lord is very much aware of everyone. And we are going to pray that the Lord will touch them in their bodies and also those who are receiving this message and dispensing it from the locations where they are, that their hearts will be strengthened, that as they move forward, they will indeed carry forth the message that is true. Let's uh, pray for, at this time and remember the men of God, the saints, and also the work of God in all locations where they are. Amen. At this time, let's pray. Father, we thank you and we appreciate you. We are assured of what you have said. You said you would be with us always, even to the end of the age. And I pray, oh God, for your saints. Will you reach down and touch them, oh God, right now? Yes. They'll be settled, oh God. They'll overlook what's, uh, uh, the, every affliction, looking steadfastly to you. The examples we have in the Word of God of uh, different ones, how they reached out and their needs were met. You're, you have not uh, failed in any area. And we trust you, we look to you, minister to, God, to every location where your people are, are at this time. Cause them, Lord, to be open in their hearts and overshadow them by your Spirit. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Amen. Amen.
say, you're all I need, Lord, in my life more than anything else. But we're glad that you have, um, those of you that are here tonight, uh, and the weather is confusing, but you know what? God is in control. And so we're living in a, um, but um, there are some burdens that I'd like to share with you. And uh, one of the things that we need to consider seriously is that each one of us, we are aging. And when I say each one of us, I'm talking about those of us in the ministry. Uh, coming to the United States in 1975, I remember going into Des Moines. Brother Goodwin was a very vibrant man, very vibrant. Uh, he could preach nonstop for over an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, with his Bible closed and co uh, quote scriptures uh, through the entire message. And then he had elders that were strong men. I remember uh, Brother Lee Ray was there and Brother uh, James Mercer was there and Brother Dennis Carlson was there. Uh, Brother Ivan Gary were there, was there. And all of these men had a gift in their own, uh, they, in their own category. Um, one would get up and be specialized in the Psalms. I think Brother Carlson was specializing in the Psalms. Brother Ivan Gary was one man that would stand up and he would, you can see he studied the tapes because he would meticulously deal with the subject. Each one had a gift in himself. And we're talking about 1975. Yeah, 46 years ago, and we were really amazed when you walk into Des Moines, uh, the order and the discipline and the young men, a young man about seven, eight, nine years old, come with a little briefcase, uh, dressed like a gentleman. That's how the church was. And it knocked the wind out of you. Uh, you see everything in order. You, by the time you stretch your hand to open the door, an usher is there. Uh, there was such an order. A uh, young man walking, a nine-year-old nine young man would walk down and there was a scrap of paper, he bends down and pick it up. Ushering staff met one uh, more than an hour before church got started and prayed. Uh, there was a men's prayer room downstairs that everyone would come before uh, church start. All the brothers would go down into the men's prayer room one at a time and pray. Uh, there was a sister's prayer room that the women would go and, and pray. Uh, head usher uh, made sure that everything was done long in advance. And this is what um, the Queen of Sheba saw when she went into Solomon's court. And she saw the attendance of the ministers. I, let's look at that. I think it might be 1 Kings uh, chapter 10. And... Uh, uh, the writings of First Kings, 
It says here, the Queen of the South, uh, chapter 10 and verse 1. It says, and when the Queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon, she heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions, uh, with a great train. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train. And uh, that's um, a caravan, like with camels that bear spices and with very much gold and precious stones. You know why? She was coming to see a great king. And when you come to visit a great king, you bring gifts uh, in honor of that individual. And that was the custom in those days. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions, and there was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And so when the queen of Sheba had seen, now it's one thing to hear knowledge and to, and to hear how great a person is, but when you walk in and you see a display of such an order, uh, that is what you really uh, would like to experience. You not only heard about his fame, but now you're seeing the wisdom and the strength and the order and whatever you're looking at. Uh, is a display. And there was a time many years ago when we had that kind of display. And so what happened? She said, not only the house of the Lord, but his own house that he had built. And it says the meat of his stable. When she looked at the way he would set up his stable uh, for a dinner or a banquet, at the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants. But she saw the sitting of his servants. There was order in the way they displayed their food. Uh, when they say ministers, it's the servants, it's those that were uh, bringing food. And uh, ever so often, we uh, remember those days when we have um, a meeting in the back and uh, our staff would be all there dressed up for that occasion. Well, here is something we can learn from. And she saw the attendance of his ministers and their apparel, their clothes uh, spoke. Uh, there was a difference with those that served. Your clothes speak for you. Your dress. I had a book one time. Uh, when someone looks at you walking in the mall, they should know that you look different. You're a Christian. And ever so often you bump into someone and you're not sure if when that is done, if it's an angel. Bumped into a man yesterday, and if it was not for the cigarette he was smoking and popped it aside, uh, when he came to talk to me, I would have thought he was an angel. Uh, because I had some business to do when I came out uh, from the bank, and when I stood there, as man came, he says, I a handful of change, uh, 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 quarters and, and dimes, and you know, he had all of that in his hand. He says, Can you, do you have any change? Uh, I need to buy me uh, some a pizza. He says that he was standing in front of Little Caesars. He says, you have any chain? And his hand is full of change, right? He, he says, I want to buy me a pizza. So I looked at him. I said, well, I don't have change. I said, I don't carry change. He says, we'll have mine. Now that is not, what kind of beggar is that? He says, have mine. I mean, you don't have enough to buy your pizza. Why are you giving me? 
He says, have mine. I said, no, I don't want your change. I don't like change in my pocket, but come, I'll buy you pizza. And so I went into Little Caesar and I said, can you have a pepperoni pizza for this man? And the next thing I know, he deposited all his change on the counter. And he says, here, this is to help. And I looked at this man and I said, what an honorable beggar this one is. Because they don't normally do that. And so the man at the, de at the counter, he says, what you want me to do? Add this up. I said, no, you put that in your tip jar and give the man his pizza. And you know, you ever so often you bump into someone and they look at you and there's something about you that makes them want to come to talk to you. When you're a Christian, your apparel is important, especially when you're in public. When people look at you, they must find something different about you. You must have an aura and a sense of a feeling that when they look at you, they know you're, something is different with you. I, that has happened to me ever so often. Not that I'm some holy roller, but ever so often the vibes uh, would help individuals. And when people are trying to dodge me, uh, it's demonic activity most of the time in their lives uh, that would cause them to take a different path and avoid me. Uh, but there are individuals that will look at me and feel like there's something there that they want attached to. Something that lifts their spirit. And here Solomon is uh, the queen of the south. Uh, she said she saw his cup bearers. And uh, then she saw the offering which he offered in the margin instead of his ascent by which he went into the house of the Lord. It says here in the margin his burnt offering which he offered in the house of the Lord. When she saw the burnt offerings that he was offer offering to the Lord. Uh, she's, the scripture tells us in the last part of verse 5, there was no more spirit in her. I imagine her jaws dropped. She never saw a display of that out from in her pagan religion or world where she was coming from. And uh, that is what the church ought to be. The church uh, representing the Lord ought to be that place where there's a display of the order of God. And I believe when the kingdom of God is established, there'll be a display of God's order that will be in Jerusalem, but will go out to the far corners of the world. And so when I went to Des Moines in 1975, and I saw this display of order, it also knocked the wind out of me. Uh, there was no more spirit in me. And then to hear the word of God preached in those days. And some today, individuals might pick on Brother Goodwin and his flaws and mistakes he made in his life. But I'll tell you what I saw. I was not a scavenger that only looked for dead flesh. I saw the value of his ministry. And it affected me permanently. And it would continue to affect me permanently for the rest of my life. And I'm glad I did. But you know, every great man comes to an end. When you look at the Bible, a man like Abraham came to an end. There was a day uh, when Abraham had to bury his own wife, Sarah. Uh, they, it seems like they were separated by the time they came to the end of their life. I think when Sarah uh, wanted to put Hagar out 
after she offered Hagar to be Abraham's handmaid. I think it brought a rift between Abraham and his wife. But you know, every one of these great champions come to, came to an end in their lives. Uh, everyone had to come to an end in his or her life and die. And Abraham died, and uh, then Isaac came and he died, and Jeremiah, uh, uh, Isaac, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob came and he died. And then we look at all through history, uh, the great men. I wish Jeremiah was alive today. We'll shock him when he comes to find out what we've got in the church. Uh, he, or he might shock us uh, by what he has to tell us that we've got that we call God in the church. These men were not uh, jokers in the pulpit. They were not there to get credibility from individuals. Uh, they were men that God worked on and they died. Uh, their spirit had to be worked on. I would not want to be a man like... Um, who was it? Ezekiel that had to uh, cook, uh, use uh, human uh, dung to cook his me his meal. Uh, the fuel that he used was was obnoxious. Uh, when God had this man lie on one side for for days uh, to bring a message to Israel, I think Isaiah had to have his the back part of his pants of his clothes cut off so his behind could show uh, to give a lesson to Israel. Um, Hosea, I think it was, who was it that married a whore? Uh, God says, go marry a whore to let Israel know how it is when they're, they're gone a whoring after other gods. And I have to deal with them. Man of God back there had to suffer consequences. Not be nice, polished guys today that want nice cars and everything nice about them. Uh, men of God back there were men of God. Strange, but men of God. They were men of God. But the point is that I'm trying to make even a man like Elijah. Elijah, he had to die. And Elijah, Elijah took his place and did double the amount of miracles that Elijah performed. But he died of a sickness. You don't die because you're well. You die because your body ages and you come old, become old and you have to leave this world. Uh, you don't die because your heart is healthy. Your heart might give up. Um, they, no matter who you are, you might be out in the world. Uh, the one thing befalleth every man. No matter how powerful you are in the world, you must die. And I lost great men in my life. I lost uh, not only family in my life. I lost my dad and my mom. I lost my mother-in-law and father-in-law. I look at my big brother and three, uh, four siblings of mine out of nine kids, four siblings, uh, just die one after the other. They died. And when I'm thinking back in the work of God, it was so wonderful to sit in Des Moines and see Brother Goodwin preach. Where is he today? Gone. Gone. And uh, you think, I, I feel for these men in the Bible. Uh, when when uh, Isaac was there, I thought about it. When Isaac was there, and Jacob and his uh, mother wanted to trick uh, Isaac and uh, let him get blessed, uh, let Jacob get blessed rather than Esau. Remember they played a trick? And uh, he, uh, Isaac said he wanted venison to eat. He wanted meat to eat. And so Esau was the hunter, and he went out to hunt deer uh, venison 
deer meat. And while he was gone, uh, was it Rachel? Who was it? Um, somebody help me here. Uh, the mother of um, Jacob. Rachel. Rachel. She said, let's, let's fool your dad. Uh, so they went and killed a goat. While Esau was out hunting for the real deer, they killed a goat and made some stew and brought it to Isaac. And uh, Isaac was there and Esau was a hairy man. So they took the, the skin of this animal that they could kill and put it on, on Jacob's hand. And so when, uh, when they're there and they brought the venison, uh, the goat meat, and us too. And they said, we, uh, I guess, uh, I guess Jacob changed his voice a little and says, Dad, uh, this is Esau. And I brought you the venison so you can bless me. And Esau, Isaac said, can you come close? I can feel your, your hand because uh, he knew that Esau was a hairy man. And he felt the goat skin. And he said, oh yes, this is Esau. Now, Tell me something. If you close your eyes and feel goat skin, you would think that's a hairy man? If you do that, you're mental. And so <laughs> when I'm thinking, why would Isaac say, accept that? Because I think he was getting senile, Brother John. He was getting old and losing his mind, and you could con him. And so they conned the old man, because he was old and blind and he was on his way out. And some of us will become like that as we age. We we'll lose our memory. Uh, some of us will lose our understanding. Uh, it would be good. And I remember Brother Goodwin telling me that uh, one time I missed a church on a Saturday night. And I called him the Monday. And I said, you know what? I took uh, medication from the doctor and fell asleep and missed church. And Brother Goodwin, I feel so bad about it. And he says, Brother Singh, he says, I would, I think that's commendable because I prefer to die in the pulpit with a heart attack than to die in the golf course with a, with a heart attack. And you know, he died in the pulpit not too long after that, in the pulpit with a heart attack. And it's good if God can take your life that you don't have to lie in a bed or get old and you lose your mind and you lose your, uh, uh, your ability to think right and you forget things. But everyone comes to that place that we must die. And Brother Goodwin died and Brother Voorhees died and Brother Archer died and every man that I knew in that senior group, they all died. And here we are, we are ready to follow them closely. And I said all of that to let you know that Brother Ivan Geary uh, is at that point that he's very sick and he's been sick for a long while. And um, I remember the last time I saw him, I went to Florida. Some of us brothers went to Florida, Brother Brintley and Brother Richard, myself, a few of us went to visit with him and he had a walker. And this was a few years uh, before COVID and he had a walker and he would walk, the brisk man would walk two steps and take a breath. And so I said to him, I said, but Ivan, we'd like to get dinner for you tonight. 
Uh, you want where you want us to order the food? He says, I want to go to the restaurant. <laughs> and you know, uh, that was so cute because there he is coming up near the restaurant waiting and he would take, he comes with a stroll and he make two, two steps and take a breath and then he gets another tone. He's going to the restaurant. But you know, that was a precious time. While he is at the point right now that he might have to be placed in hospice. When you're placed in hospice, you're on your way out, you can't speak no more, you're very sick, and you might die. And we want to remember him in prayer, and that's why I dedicated this, so much of this service, to talk about him, because the order that I saw years ago is no, was gone. And that which I embraced was gone. The younger generation comes up, and the younger generation, I must appreciate them, but I'm not sure uh, if the younger generation have the vision that we had as, um, as a, when we were young. I wish that God would give us young people today that had vision uh, like we had when we were young. And I remember for, uh, from the time I went full-time, uh, there was a period of time I preached every single day for two years non-stop. I didn't mean for two years keep on preaching, but every single night there was a service that I preached for two years. And those days you did not have, uh, you know, the, the modesty and quietness. I mean, you preach. I remember preaching in front of the cinema one time uh, in, in Rose Hall. Uh, the Apollo, right? Apollo Cinema is in Rosal, and I stood up there, and I had my uh, my group of people with me, and we had placards, a repent or judgment, you know, and I'm standing there preaching, and it created such a commotion that people in that cinema thought there was a big riot or something, and they all came running out of the cinema. I remember that young man stood up there without a microphone preaching the gospel and then all, they're all running out and my brother was there my brother Patrick he was there and he ran out with his friends to see and the, and the friend says hey that's your brother preaching man it's not a riot and Patrick said he ran back in because he was embarrassed but that was me I was zealous I preached I mean we preached uh, that day we preached every street corner in Rose Hall, I put that microphone in front of every, uh, you know, a prostitution house and preach. They didn't turn to the Lord, but that was my zeal. And I preached those days. So with your zeal and enthusiasm, you did things. I don't have that kind of energy anymore uh, to do that. I, Brother Joe came into my office, the off front office tonight, and he says, Brother Singh, I'm able to set something up that we can do the midnight cry online, so it's not costing us. And I told Brother Joe, and you know, long ago, I'd say, yes, let's do it. I said, Brother Joe, few people respond to the message we preach. I don't feel like I can just put my effort into doing that. I told him that I talked to Nadine about seeing if I can probably do a blog once a month on our website. But you know, like you preach a lot and you say a lot and you do a lot and few people God touches uh, that they can see and understand and change their lives. And so when I'm thinking about what's coming up, April uh, is around the corner and um, 
here in the book of John, the Gospel of John, and we've got, let's see, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes uh, to, to go. In the Gospel of John, and I like these Gospels in their own, with their own identity. Matthew has its own identity. Uh, Mark have its, his own identity. Luke is one of my favorites uh, because I preached the lesson one time. Take Luke out of the picture and we would not even know what's the day of Pentecost. You know, I say things that nobody ever said before. And yet, nobody ever picks that up. People prefer to listen to Arthur Pink, who's dead and gone years ago, than to listen to what Desmond Singh has to say, even though what I say exposes the hypocrisy of some of these men that are gone. And so when you preach, you pray, oh God, you know, if it was not, I told Brother Joe, if it was not for the way, when I read the Bible and see how Isaiah was rejected and how Jeremiah was rejected and how every prophet was rejected and how the early church apostles were rejected and how Paul was rejected and how Jesus himself came to his own and his own received him not, I will be discouraged. I'll quit preaching. But when I look back and see how they kept on faithful and they preach, even though people wanted to be entertained and educated, nobody wants an illumination and the change of their minds. Well, the Gospel of John is an amazing gospel. So I'm going to do five chapters with you tonight. How about that? Six chapters, actually. Not the whole chapters, but I'll pick on six chapters. Chapter 1 shows the pre-existence of Christ. It tells you he was the word that existed before the world was, and the Father used him. He is called the word in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God the Father, and the word was the Son of God. He was Son of the Father. He was God. You understand? God, creator. All right, not God, with the fullness of God's sonship. And, and in chapter 1, it talks about light, light a lot. It says, in him was life, verse 4, and him and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness did not put it out, comprehended it not. And verse 7, they came uh, for a witness. They, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. And that was John the Baptist. When he came, he came to be a witness for the light. Uh, verse 8, and he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. You see the word light is repeating itself over and over here. And I like that. It says, and uh, they, that was the true light which lighted every man that cometh into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Remember that. He came into the world, the world was made by him, and the world did not recognize him. A lot of times, people in the world, whether religious or non-religious, are blinded to reality. Uh, they lose their spiritual perspective of who is called of God and who is not called of God. And uh, blind individuals don't see. And it goes on here. And then we move into chapter 2. Chapter 2, I like the last part of chapter 2. Because it shows the fickleness 
of mankind. And when Jesus started to do miracles in verse 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. And, uh, but Jesus did not commit himself. People says, I believe you, Jesus. Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord. But Jesus did not commit himself because the Living Bible translates this like this. He knew how fickle and changeable human nature is. He did not trust them when they said, praise Jesus. When they saw miracles, they gave God glory. When there's no miracle, they, they'd sell you out and betray you. And so this is a beautiful part of chapter 2. Then in chapter 3, one of the most popular chapter around our Christianity when it says, For God so loved the world, in verse 16, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But the part I like in this whole chapter, in chapter 3, it says in verse 18, uh, verse 17, uh, for God sent his son into the world, uh, to, uh, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Uh, Jesus came to save the world. He didn't come to condemn the world. The world was already condemned before he came. He came to salvage that which God will save. Verse 18, he that believeth in him is not condemned. If you believe in the Lord, you're not condemned. To believe in him doesn't say, I believe, I believe, I believe. No, believe in him. If you believe in him, you'll obey him and do the things that his word commands you to do. It says here, he that believeth not is already condemned. Condemned already because he believeth not in the Son of, the, of God. In this in believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. Everybody, verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light. Not only in that day, but today. See, darkness today, I can have this Bible and preach a full lesson of darkness to you. Because the devil now has transformed himself into an angel of light. If God is not anointing me and giving me a message that comes from my heart because God has inspired me, and I'm just preaching, educating you, an intellectual understanding, it's darkness. For the devil himself is transformed into an angel of light. That's not true light. That's fake light. That's black light. It's, and his apostle, he sends out apostles that are not preaching on holiness. They're preaching righteousness. But if God has not ordained that, it's a work of iniquity. Darkness is subtle today because it looks like light. The devil knows more scripture than a lot of children of God knows. And this is a subtle thing today because unless God touches your eyes, you follow the wrong individual. Now listen to me carefully. And he goes on here. He says, for this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And everyone that doeth evil 
hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. He that doeth truth, truth must not only be preached, it must be lived. He that doeth truth, uh, cometh to the light, and his, that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. Then in chapter 4, a popular, very, very popular chapter of John's Gospel, where Jesus met this woman at the well of Samaria. Remember, uh, when his disciples went into the city to get food, and he sat there, and this woman, Samaritan woman, half Jew, uh, half Gentile, came to the water, uh, to the well, at the heat of the day. And someone said she probably came there because nobody comes to the well at that time. And she was not a nice woman. She was a popular woman for her bad repetition. And so Jesus sat there and he waited and she showed up. And he looked at her and she looked at him. And he says, give me the drink. And she didn't want much to do. She says, you're a Jew. How did she know he was a Jew? His apparel, the way he carried himself. She said, you're a Jew. How come you're asking me, a Gentile woman, a Samaritan woman to give water to you? He says, woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me and I'll give you water that'll make you never thirst again. And she looked at him. Now the whole city was there, but Jesus chose a not-so-good woman to talk to. That is why when you have the Spirit of Christ, you don't isolate people that you not like because they are all sweet and polished. You would learn to love the unlovable. That woman was about, she was elect. Even though she was living a bad life and her entire repetition was not a good one, she was to be saved. And Jesus sitting on that well that day was to save a bad woman. And she, he sat there and he says, she said, how are you going to give me water? You don't even have something to draw water with. And he said some beautiful things. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. Uh, let me back up. She says, our fathers worship, verse 20, in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is a place we ought to worship. And Jesus said unto our woman, believe me, the hour is coming. Uh, when you shall neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. See, we're living in that time when you don't need to be in Jerusalem to worship the Father. You don't need to be in a mountain somewhere to worship the Father. He went on, he says, you worship, you know not what, blunt, very unapologetic statement. He says, lady, you're worshiping and you just don't even know what you're worshiping. You know how many people in the world today worship and they don't know what they're worshiping? But I'm worshiping Jesus. No, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we did a lot of things and cast out demons and did wonderful works in your name. God is particular and fussy about how you worship him in your lifestyle. What you give to God must be what God wants and appreciates. Your sacrifices, and that is why before the power is given to the two witnesses in Revelation 11, sacrifices, the altar is measured, the temple is measured, and the people that worship therein is measured. 
It is important that we understand these things. All right, we're building up a lesson for the weekend. And then it goes on here. And the hour cometh when you shall neither in this world, in this mountain, he says, for uh, the hour cometh, and now is, not tomorrow, he says, now is, when true worshipers, everybody say, true worshipers. You see, true worshipers, that's, you can come to church and say, I'm going to worship the Lord, blah, 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 blah. True worshipers don't worship with their mouth only. True worship comes from the heart. When you walk out of here, if you put God on the highest pedestal in your life, you're worshiping God with your mouth shut. When you come here, it's just because you join with everyone in praising God. But worship is a personal adoration and reverence for God, the God of the universe. You reverence him. And that is why when you conduct yourself, it is important that you conduct yourself with that reverence and honor for this great king. And Jesus said, he says, the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is looking. God Almighty, the immutable, the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God is looking for people that can put him in their hearts on the highest pedestal. God is looking for true worshipers. And tonight, I want to ask myself, am I a true worshiper? I wish I were that in that position where I could worship God as a true worshiper. I get distracted. We get distracted. We sometimes, we don't know what we're doing. We get distracted ever so often. It says, and um, he says, God is his spirit. He's a spirit being, and they that worship him must worship him not with their lips and their mouths, but in spirit and in reality, in truth. And the woman, uh, she was amazed, and she said, uh, she, she finally got exposed, and she said, um, uh, can you give me this water? And Jesus says, go bring your husband. And she said, I ain't got a husband. He said, you're right, well said. For all the husbands you had before, you left them and the one you're living with right now is not yours. So you best go repent. Don't come talk to me, no. He was offering that woman salvation in her rotten condition because God was going to save that woman that people would condemn and people would not want to talk to, but God saves you from the uttermost, from the basis of life. He drags you up. That's the challenge God has. He take you from the dunghill and make something out of you. That's the God that we serve. Do you know that that day, the entire Samaritan village came out to listen to Jesus. And so when you read the Acts of the Apostle and Peter, Philip went down to Samir to hold a revival, Jesus had already planted the seed. Philip was a great guy. No, no, no. Philip went to reap what Jesus had already planted. The work was already done. All Philip went was to went and uh, build on what Jesus had already planted. And you know, I've got five minutes more. 
But in chapter, in chapter 5, Jesus went through, and I like chapter 5 because he went through and talks about his father from verse 17. He talks about his father and his father, verse 17, verse 18, verse 19, verse 20. If you circle all the word father, you will find almost in every verse he's talking about the father more than one time. He loves the father. Maybe Jehovah's Witness should take this page out of their Bible. Because they don't believe in calling God the Father. Father, they call him Jehovah. If I was Brother John's son, would you like me to talk, hey John? Or Dad? He'll want Dad. Well, I prefer to call God the Father, Father, dear Father. When I pray to him, I pray, Father. When Jesus prayed to him, he says, Our Father, which art in heaven. He says, Heavenly Father. You mean the whole Jehovah's Witness people got it messed up? Yeah. Like many of us got a lot of things messed up. But it doesn't mean they will be saved. Well, if they open their hearts, God can save anybody. But chapter 6 is what I'd like to end with here tonight. Because Jesus, when he went through this whole thing, and he went through all of this chapter with them, <laughs> chapter 5, then he come to chapter 6, and he made some statements here, and I'd like to leave this with you tonight. He says, our fathers, verse 31, he says, our fathers. That is our religious fathers, the people that led us to where we are today. There was a problem in Israel because always when you look back at their fathers, their fathers always went into apostasy. He says, our fathers did eat manna in the desert. Uh, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. And Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, uh, Moses give you not that bread from heaven, but my father has given you the true bread from heaven. You see this, a few weeks from now, we'll be doing communion and we'll partake of emblems that represent his body, the bread that represents his body and the drink that represents his blood. But here in chapter, what you need to do is go read from in chapter 6, this entire part. And he calls himself the bread of heaven in verse 33. He's for bread, uh, the bread of God is he which cometh down from God. Verse 35, and Jesus said unto them, I'm the bread. And he that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth in me shall never thirst. And you see what he means is not eating a piece of bread on communion day. It means eating his word. I'm preaching his word tonight. And when it's touching areas of sin and rebellion in your life, and you let the word of God come on into your life, and you're walking, and the word become a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, you're eating Christ on a daily basis. That's what it means to eat his flesh. Not the piece of bread. That is just an expression to the world that you are living a Christian life and doing your best to live a Christian life. We need to eat Christ on a daily basis. Walk with his life in on a daily basis. And he comes down here right down to uh, chapter, chapter 6. And he uh, close here. He says in verse 48. He says, I am that bread of life. He says, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they are dead. 
See, today we would like to start, we like to follow individuals that are not here today. And you know, Brother Goodwin was a great man. He was my spiritual father, and he was the greatest man that touched my life. But I can't follow him today. He's gone. And that's what happened to Israel. A lot of them were still following that which was gone. He says, your fathers did it manner. God blessed them, but they're dead. He says, he says um, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that no man can eat thereof. And when you eat of me, you, cannot die, you shall not die. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And he goes on, he says, Whosoever, verse 54, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. He's not talking about communion. He's not talking about literal flesh and blood. He's talking about the words. He said, the words I speak unto you, they're spirit and they're life. We're not here just to be educated. We are here to be illuminated and informed so we can practice what we hear from the pulpit. To eat the bread means that you, it becomes a part. You see, what I eat is responsible for my resistance and my stability and my, um, what you call it, my resistance to diseases. Uh, there's a word. I, I'm not anemic. I'm immune to certain things because I eat the right stuff. What I eat is important physically. Well, what I eat spiritually is important. And he goes on, he says, he, did, he says, how can um, whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life? And I'll raise him up at the last day. Uh, you have, when, when you start to incorporate the word of God, you're starting to develop life in yourself. Slowly, Jesus is being formed. Paul says, apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, until we come to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. As you incorporate his words in your life, you eliminate sin from your life. God comes in, Christ becomes alive, and then the word becomes a part of you. You, we need to eat and drink Christ on a daily basis. When you get these messages, don't just put it on the shelf. Go home and ask God, please help me. What is there in this message tonight that I must incorporate? You see, if all of this pandemic messages is not even causing you to get up and pray and seek after God and spend some time talking to God, then it has done nothing to you. And that's all right. It will not do anything for the non-elect. I know you're elect when the message reaches on in and starts to change your life. And you become useful. This is not Bible seminary. That I, you need to have a lot of information. No, this is the church where you need to have a lot of life. When I see you walking around like you got no life, I wonder when, when are you going to be saved? May God help us. We talk about eating and drinking Christ. And you know, by the time he was finished, talking to them and telling them, 
If he was in one of our conventions and telling them that today you've got to listen to what I'm telling you because I'm telling you that all our fathers, imagine Jesus was in a meeting and he was saying this, you know, our fathers are great guys, but they're dead. I got the message to save you. They will sit on him in any convention. They would not lift their hand. They would not praise God. They would sit on him and go quiet. Because they are still caught in the past. And when the meeting is over. Verse 6 to 6. And from that time many of who used to believe in him. His disciples backslid and left. They went back and walked no more with him. And then Jesus said to the twelve. Please don't go away. Y'all, please, I beg y'all, church is going to break up now. No. All the hundreds of people were gone. And five, twelve were left. And Jesus sternly says, y'all want to join the crowd? I like, you know, I love Jesus. He was not a Dale Carnegie. No. He says, y'all want to go? And then I love Peter because God touched the man. And he says to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? Verse 68, thou hast the words of eternal life. And we, on behalf of the others, he said, we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, a minister would have no room to save anyone if you don't believe that God has called him to do what he is doing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night in your house. And as we get our hearts ready, Lord, to, uh, for communion weekend, where we want to partake of literal emblems, oh, Father, that represents a spiritual path that we must walk on. Help us, oh God, we pray, that our hearts would be prepared, not only to do the, the ceremonial performances, oh God, like everyone is doing, but to let it challenge us to live a godly life. Lord, we bring Brother Ivan Geary before you tonight. As we close this service, we will remember him in prayer. As he comes to the end of his journey, Father, we pray that you will have mercy with him, on him, and be with him. Strengthen him, Father, that in the last moments of his life, whenever that would be, that you'll be there with him. Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.